0: Shy Chat Podcast. Stories that connect. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Shy Chat Podcast. This is your host, Peter Reimholt, and I'm happy you've tuned in again to hear an extraordinary story. I hope everyone is getting ready for the holidays and looking forward to well-deserved time off. Although it may be a little different holiday season for many, I trust you will find a way to relax and enjoy the time away from your computer, at least your work one. We have just completed expectation setting again, and this year we have a renewed focus on values and culture commitment. We have all been asked to identify specific actions we will each take to contribute to the advancement of KPMG's culture, inclusion and diversity initiatives, and corporate citizenship efforts. I personally am committed to leading authentic and diverse teams fostering a collaborative environment where open and honest dialogue is encouraged. During this episode, you will hear the story of two individuals who live out KPMG's values each and every day and have been committed to advancing KPMG's culture. As our country faces racial inequity, Keith Oliphant and Shelby Prater are working together to drive change in our community. Inspired by recent events, Keith founded Movement for the Movement, an organization that combines his two passions, mentorship and fitness. Shelby led a recent Movement for the Movement panel that engaged professional athletes, educators, and community leaders in a discussion on the educational and professional barriers faced by black people and the ways we all can create a more equal future. Keith and Shelby joined the podcast to discuss Movement for the Movement, their journeys to KPMG, and how we all can play a role in bringing about tangible change in our communities. Welcome to the Shot Chat Podcast, Shelby and Keith. We're really excited to have you here. And uh, I'd like to start out by discussing some of the amazing things that both of you guys have been doing for the community and our world so far. Um, And I'm going to start with you, Keith. So you've teamed up with your gym in July and created a program called Movement for the Movement to spread awareness about the injustices in the black community um, after talking with you and Shelby Pryor, I've come to understand that while many other communities of color are impacted by systemic racism, you and the Movement for the Movement are really trying to highlight the nuanced experiences of the Black community. Can you tell me how you came up with the idea of Movement for the Movement and the objective of the program?
1: Yeah, absolutely. First off, I would like to say thanks for having Shelby and I on the show today. It's really moments and opportunities like this that make us proud to call KPMG the place where we work. Like a lot of people, I watched the protests over the deaths of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor, and I wanted to find a way to personally contribute to the movement. Ultimately, Movement for the Movement let me combine two things that I care about, fitness and mentorship, in a way that works to fight racial injustice. Our events are all live streamed and they include a panel discussion with experts on issues related to racial inequality followed by a guided, guided body workout. Our hopes with each of these events is to engage members and friends of the fitness community in a conversation about the realities of systemic racism in the United States. And to do this, Peter, it was imperative that We created a space where people felt comfortable having an open and honest discussions on issues such as racial disparities. Our first event, we had panelists from a variety of different backgrounds, NFL players like Jason Cabinda, coaches such as James Franklin, and academic experts like Dr. Whitney Gaskins. Together, this group was able to provide different perspectives and and really shine light on social injustices many Black Americans are facing today. And in addition to the panel, we wanted to get our participants involved in the fight as well. The Workout, which was run in partnership with the local gym, helped participants to not only feel involved in the event, which can be difficult to do during the pandemic, but also sharpen their focus on what they can personally do in their own communities. We partner with a really great organization here in Chicago that has long been working in this community to address these issues. All of our donations went to Youth Guidance, which creates mentorship programs and helps children in Chicago
0: schools overcome obstacles and allows them to focus on their education. Well, that's great, Keith. And uh, it sounds like you've got a great panel. So transitioning over to Shelby, I know Shelby you were one of the moderators so what kind of questions did you ask these panelists how do they respond and like what was what were a lot of the, the takeaways from from this discussion
2: Yeah so it was quite a discussion and I absolutely recommend going back and watching the recording uh, if any of you are interested um, like you said you know, we were really really thoughtful and intentional about how we structured the panel, kind of um, keeping in mind that we had listeners joining from uh, um, just all over the kind of spectrum of, of their allyship journey, um, people who are just kind of being introduced to the concept of systemic racism all the way to, to kind of experts in this field. Um, and so we wanted to start at a, at a base level, and so we asked our panelists um, and really invited Dr. Whitney Gaskins and and Dr. Nevin her to um, explain a bit about kind of the history of systemic Mm -hmm. racism, talk about kind of what that is, how we define that. We talked about, you know, obviously the root um, causes of a lot of this in in,
0: Mm -hmm. in slavery
2: and how these things just all have very deep roots um, in America's history. And, And I think our panelists did a really awesome job of kind of explaining, even, you know, just very briefly,
0: how that Mm -hmm. kind of comes to light today. And Shelby, uh, so you had this panelist. How many people uh, took part in this July event?
2: Uh, We had upwards of 1,200 people join the live event. Um, Amazing. And every day the the replay number goes up and
0: up. Amazing. So if you think about the event, and it sounds like there was a lot of great discussion, are there any takeaways from that event that you'd like to share with our listeners?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, so the second half of the panel, we, we asked our panelists to kind of speak directly to um, allies of the black community, and uh, I kind of wanted to share some of, some of their, their advice because I thought it was super powerful. One of the, the key takeaways here for allies is, is really to, um, one, educate yourself um, it's uncomfortable. I mean, These are tough conversations. America has a tough history, and we, we're all part of that. We have to face that, right? Um, but then once you've acknowledged that, move past it. It's really important that um, allies do not kind of act out of agility or guilt because then that's how we get really performative measures that don't actually drive change. Um, and so once you've done your education and you've kind of understood what your role is, join um, the fight to actually – make structural changes, you know what I'm saying? -hmm. So then there's that. And then then also, uh, allies, just be encouraged um, to use your platform. Not all of us don't have millions of dollars to donate to, you know, uh, NAACP and and whatnot, but we we all have something, um, whether Mm -hmm. it's our time and and volunteering at local organizations or or using social media to
0: raise awareness. um, They can use their own platform to affect change. Well, great. Thanks, Shelby, and I appreciate you sharing some of those takeaways. I think that's important for, for all of us to think about what we can really action, you know, in our daily lives, which seems like a pretty daunting task to some of us. Um, I, yeah. I guess transitioning to you, back to you, Keith, what's next for Movement for the Movement? I mean, Shelby just told us about this great event you had in July, and why you're still getting views. Um, what, what's next for you guys?
1: I think... You know the goal is to keep the conversation going. The reality is that these conversations are uncomfortable, right? And as a country, I believe we must become comfortable with being being uncomfortable because that's the only way we're really going to grow. Let Let's also, you know, remember this is this is a movement and, and not a moment. And the movement for the movement team is really you know, in the process of planning our events for 2021 because we believe, you know, it's, it's important to continue to provide a space where Black people can talk about racism in an open and honest way. We want to put, we want to help people articulate some of these issues, understand where they might have come from and where to ask for help. And additionally, you know, we want to continue to help reveal ways people can begin or become a better ally. So hopefully people can take what they learn from these discussions and work to influence friends and family as well.
0: Well, that's great, Keith. And I think that's, that's quite a, noble, a noble, noble task for you guys to undertake here moving forward. And I'm glad you got that next event, event plan. It's always good to, to look forward to your, to your, next, uh, your next journey. Uh, As as we talk about uh, your guys moving for the movement, I'm immediately thinking about you know what brought you to KPMG and what attracted you to our firm. So um, maybe I'll start with you, Shelby. What first uh, like what what got you to KPMG and what you know what what keeps you here?
2: It just so happens that there was a black female recruiter at a career fair that I went to. Um, We got to talking. She invited me to apply. Here we are. Um, But then when I got here. It was really um, kind of the, the people in the office um, who immediately kind of approached me and, and made it very clear where they stood as far as um, supporting a young woman of color and her career mm-hmm. journey um, and and kind of the different support structures that KPMG provides to do that systemically. And, of, and of course, there's always room for improvement, but um, it, it meant a lot to me that, that people were talking about it up front. They did not shy away from it. Um, and, and they seem really committed to, to driving change. So that's why I'm here. Um, I've since gotten involved in, in those different initiatives, and mm-hmm. so that's what I am staying.
0: And have you had any uh, mentors or coaches or anything that have been especially helpful for you in your career so far?
2: 100 um, percent. And I think the, the really fun part about my mentor and sponsor um, and coach kind of structure is that they're all, they're from all over the place. Um, I have mentors ages 25 to like 49, I think. And I have, um, people of color, I have women, I have men. My PML was probably my old PML. We've recently changed, but my PML, who is actually an older white man, um, has been instrumental in, in kind of my experience here. Um, and I, I, I would say he was, like, the exemplary um, ally to the black community and, and to uh, young women like me. Is he was just um, very open, very honest, very humble. He listened and learned but also kind of shared and, and challenged me. Um, yeah, no, absolutely. So it was, it was people like him, my mentor, my PML, um, various partners here at the firm who just encouraged me and um, kind of just poured into me and invested in my career. and and kind of got me this this recent promotion. So I really have to kind of thank um, people in my support structure here for that.
0: Well, congratulations on that promotion, first and foremost. And um, I know you probably earned it twice over by just your hard work, but it's good to hear that you got a support system to to help you as well. Yeah, thank you. Um, And Keith, going back to you, uh, so how'd you get to KPMG? Yeah, so... My journey is is very much similar to Shelby's.
1: It started with me attending the Future Diversity Leadership Program and interning in the Philadelphia office my sophomore year of college. That program specifically, you know, led me to find mentors who are now sponsors to me. These people have taken interest in my personal and professional development here at KPMG. But the people and the culture are are hands down what keeps me here. You know, Mm -hmm. beyond finding mentors and and sponsors, I've been blessed to find friends and and some of whom I consider family today. My first day at KPMG was June 8th, 2016. And four years later, in 2020, I'm still in contact with people who were a part of that initial intern class, right? Visit. And I, I started full-time with KPMG, you know, June of 2018, and my, my start class specifically has been pivotal, um, um, have been a pivotal part in helping me make this big city feel smaller.
2: Keith and I, I think, have um, such awesome experiences here at KPMG, but I don't want to ever kind of ignore the fact that there's always another side of the story, right? And um, I'm sure we all know people who are not having such awesome experiences and don't have uh, such a wonderful support system like this um, but are also still here. And I, I just want to circle back and say that even in the places where, where KPMD kind of struggles to provide that consistent experience, I think the leadership there has been um, very transparent in the areas of improvement um, and have very locally committed change. Um, so even though our experiences are wonderful and we are aware that that's not the same across the firm, um, I think we're still here in part because um, we're hopeful and we trust in leadership to, to follow through, you know, commitments. their commitment. so Just wanted to
0: add that in there. As we're discussing here, it's hard to, not address like the race relations in our country that you guys have been alluding to and talking about the stories and, you know, in the spirit of self-awareness as a white male, I did not have the same experiences as you guys growing up. And I continue to not have the same experiences. And it's the empathy is something that I struggle with and that I work on as you guys are mentioning. Uh, and you've talked about how you talked about on your, on your panel. Um, but personally, if you guys are willing to share, um, Keith, maybe we'll start with you first. Uh, Do you have a moment that defined your view on race?
1: I think think this is a a, a very tough question, Um, especially as, you know, a black male growing up in America. I've unfortunately um, had many experiences, you know, from being followed by store clerks. Um, I've been stopped by for driving while black. I've been mistreated by airline personnel you know, white people move their bags if, if I stand near them in the elevator and on the trains, et cetera. Uh, but my experience that was the most defining moment and which shaped my view on race was probably going back two years ago when I first moved to Chicago, I was living up north in a suburb called Winneka, uh, with, with friends, with my friend and his family. Um, for those who don't know, you know, Winneka is like the Beverly Hills of California, um, <laughs> And in the three to four months that I lived there, I don't think I saw you know another person of color um, or black person. And every day I, w- I would walk home from the train station and then people would look at me like I didn't belong there. And as someone who grew up in a pretty wealthy area outside of Philadelphia, I thought I was pretty good at navigating you know majority white spaces. But that that experience kind of shocked me. Um, it, it really made me realize how segregated parts of this country still are today. Um, even with you know the progress that's been made in this country, there's just just still so much work you know to do to really guarantee racial equality and make sure Black people you know feel comfortable in these spaces and, and are given opportunities to afford real estate and, and pay taxes in areas like, you know, Winneka, Illinois. And so, you know, although I say you know, this experience is a defining moment that that probably shaped my, my view on race, um, it's more of a time that you know, motivated me to, to take action and, and, and join the fight and dismantling the educational and psych- psychological and professional barriers that, you know, many of us Black Americans face today.
0: Shelby, uh, would, you be, would you mind sharing your moment that uh, defined your view on race?
2: The unfortunate reality is that um, most Black kids become aware of, of their Blackness and their, their otherness um, as early as like age five like, kindergarten. Oh. in elementary school, I was living in a, in a suburb outside of Dallas, Texas and, um, became you know, close friends with a family across the street. They happen to have a bunch of kids who were around the age of my siblings and I, um, so we got really close as quickly because of, you know, school and whatnot. Um, so this family was white and at the time it, it didn't, it didn't mean much to, to any of us with we just kids running around the neighborhood, having a good time, um, disobeying our parents, all the good stuff. <laughs> um, and and at one point in time, um, myself and any other girls were, um, long story short, just doing some things we uh, were not supposed to be doing <laughs> down the street, far from our parents' view. Um, and when we were caught, uh, my my friend and the other family, you know, her, her parents yelled at her for, for doing it. And, uh, you know, she got grounded and, and went home. Um, but the conversation that I had with my mom was a little bit different. Um, she didn't yell at me for, for doing what I did, but she had to have a, a more serious conversation with me about, about why I could never do anything like that again. Um, because it's, it's, it's more of a survival thing. Um, and how as a black woman doing things that my white peers and colleagues can do, and it, it seeming, it seeming to be very non-salon or very trivial, um, can have very profound impact on the rest of my life. Um, and I think, I think it was sort of then, that's probably my earliest memory of, of feeling like my blackness um, was, was going to be a, a weight or some obstacle or something, something terrible that I would have to deal with and fight against um, for the rest of my life.
0: And, and from, from now, I kind of want to shift from past to present to future a little bit and go back to what you talked about, Keith. Because, um, I mean, right now, I feel like there are many people doing great work for race relations in this country and the world, but you know it's not just about a few people; it's about all of us doing our part, and and it, and that's that's seen by your story about Winnetka, Keith. So, what can we do as individuals to affect change in the world?
1: I think one thing that you know everyone can do, you know, black people included, is just be willing to listen, right? Listen, learn, reflect, you know, act on it. I I think a lot like. Shelby mentioned early on that people, some people, are feel uncomfortable to to have these conversations, and I think as long as we are uncomfortable, you know, and we continue to defer these these conversations, you know, we we won't grow as a country, right? And so mm-hmm. I just really encourage people to really take state and and be willing to to come learn about you know different different experiences that no many black people face
0: in America. And Keith, what would you say to someone like myself who may be a little cautious or nervous to have these discussions with the worry of not knowing what to say or saying the wrong thing or being just, you know, uncertain kind of like you described. What would you say to someone like myself? I would say don't be afraid, you know, silence isn't the
1: answer. So have that conversation, even if it might be uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. From a black person's perspective, I think they would be, you know, appreciative that you're taking the opportunity to try to understand and learn, right? I would also say, you know, be prepared to do your homework and don't expect black people to be your only resource for educating yourself, you know, utilize these resources that are at our fingertips, such as the Internet, the libraries, the podcasts. And hey, you know, we even have a resource page on the Movement for the Movement website that will be a perfect place for people to go to to assist them in their you know, education process.
0: And before we, uh, before we let you guys go, um, I'm going to give you each an opportunity to chat, but what's one thing you think that an average person at KPMG either should focus on doing or isn't aware of that it could be something that they could be a small change that's doable, that's not changing the world today, but it's a small thing that's going to kind of guide us in that right direction? I'll start with you, Keith.
1: Listen, even when you might not think it's true because you didn't have the same experience, Learn and and do the hard work because you want to make this world a better place for all. And, you know, take action and understand that taking action doesn't mean you have to do everything, right? Like, Mm -hmm. you don't need to protest. You don't need to post on, on social media. You don't need to donate thousands of dollars. There are many avenues for each of us to take to reach that same goal. And, you know, my Winneka experience has allowed my friend's family to, you know, listen to my experiences. And together we learned and realized we grew up in different bubbles, you know. I've realized my presence challenged their bubble and opened their eyes on what it means to be black.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think that makes a lot of sense, Keith. Um, what about you, Shelby? What do you think that uh, we can do as individuals to drive change and inclusion in our lives?
2: Seek opportunities to do so. You know, I think working from home and working virtually, um, right now gives us kind of a leg up in this. Um, it's very easy for, uh, people to kind of fall into the background of, of virtual calls, um, for people to accidentally be left off of a, of a meeting invite. And so mm-hmm. I, I would just encourage everybody to um, recognize those opportunities, to speak up on someone else's behalf. If you have a younger colleague of color um, or any colleague of color, just make sure that they have a platform to raise their voice if they feel um, it's appropriate um, and and, you know, just invite their perspective
0: into the conversation uh, Wherever possible. Yeah, I know. Right now, especially in this remote environment, some of those unconscious biases that we talk about sometimes, like especially location, and just that it's it. Well, if it's not right in front of you, it can be. Uh, it can be kind mm-hmm. of something that you slip into, and uh, we've I've even noticed that in some of my own teams. Um, so yeah, that's really right. great advice. Well, guys, uh, mm-hmm. before. Before I let you go, I'd like to first say thanks for your awesome answers and for your, uh, you know, dialogue here and being willing to open up and talk about your experiences. Uh, it's really appreciated, and I think it's gonna be very valuable for our audience to hear. Uh, but before I let you go, we're gonna take part in our famous lightning round, where I'm gonna ask you some quick questions. No prep necessary, and just answer the first thing that comes to mind. Does that work for you guys? <laughs> Oh, gosh. Okay. I do not. Here we go, right? All right, Shelby, start with you. What is the best present you've ever received and why?
2: My One of my best friends from high school or, or middle school, I guess, we met in seventh grade, um, wrote me a letter. It was a seven-page letter from his time um, on the water. He is in the Navy. And um, I received it my first week of my freshman year of college, um, which was very difficult. So that was probably the best, best gift I ever received. Yeah. Do one.
0: <laughs> well, that's a pretty amazing present. I like that answer, Shelby. Yeah. Um, yeah. All right, Keith, transition to you. Uh, if you had a chance to eat dessert for breakfast every day, what dessert would you choose? <laughs> I would probably choose ice cream.
1: Um, I love Jenny's ice cream. So um, I would love to wake up and, you know, my daily routine, I usually work out before work. So I kind of having, you know, ice cream is is a little refreshing.
0: So it can cool me down. Um, All right, Shelby, back to you. Um, Where would you go on vacation if you had no budget? That's my difficult because I'm,
2: (laughs) <laughs> I'm convinced I'm going to travel the entire world before I leave this earth um, I think right now I'd probably go to New Zealand um, and do some whale watching I'm obsessed with whales um, and so that would that would just be incredible
0: sounds amazing I don't know when the next time we'll be able to do that kind of travel is but I'm hoping it's sooner rather than later I
2: know mm-hmm.
0: alright Keith uh, who would you swap lives with for a day um probably an NFL football player
1: <laughs> I feel like all my all my friends who who watch this podcast are definitely going to laugh but you know um definitely would like to live you know the life of you know Odell Beckham Jr. or you know Saquon Barkley <laughs> um I'll, I'll even I'll even go to the NBA I'll, Definitely like to see what uh, LeBron
0: James' daily life is like off the court. That's awesome. I feel like LeBron would be a pretty cool life. Um, all right. Well, thanks, Keith. Um, all right, Shelby. Uh, if you could sit down with your 13-year-old self, uh, what would you tell her?
2: Oh, God, I'd give the, the poor girl a hug. <laughs> I would tell her you um, would be nicer to her mom and her sister. Um, and to be nice to herself, <laughs> like teenage years are very, um, they're just awful. They're just, they're fed up awful. And um, I went through the typical, like, you know, uh, pubescent, like self-image issues and nobody understands me. Uh, but I would tell, I would tell Baby Shelby to just take a chill pill, breathe. Um, your mom has been there done that she can be helpful your sister's coming up next to help the poor girl out um, (laughs) and you know know that it's going to be okay
0: i like your initial answer just giving a hug maybe that's just that's just what you (laughs) need sometimes
2: yeah she needs a hug
0: keith if you win the lottery tomorrow what would be your first big splurge I would
1: probably, you know, buy a house. You know, I have goals of taking care of my family and kind of, you know, I would try my best to, you know, provide them with some of the things that they may need um, in order to help them live a better
0: life. Well, that sounds like a pretty awesome gift. All right, I know we're done with questions, but I'm going to double that one over to you, Shelby. You win the lottery. What's your first big splurge?
2: Okay, okay. My and um, college funds for the rest of my siblings. Um, I still at, at five to put through college, so um, it'd be super awesome if, if we could just remove that expense from my parents.
0: It'd be great. Well, that's admirable. Um, well, thanks, guys. I appreciate you playing around in the lightning round, and uh, thanks for sharing all your stories and your experiences, and um, just kind of all your candid thoughts. It's really much appreciated. And uh, well a lot of fun bringing you guys on the show. No problem, Thanks for Thanks. having
2: us, Peter. Thanks
1: for
0: having us, Pete. Thank you for listening to the Shy Chat Podcast. For more information about Keith or Shelby's story, please contact Keith at kolifant at kpmg.com or Shelby at sprater at kpmg.com. If you like what you heard today, spread the word. And if you or somebody you know has a great story that you think we should hear about, please contact Aaron Bailey at ebailey at kpmg.com or myself at prainhold at kpmg.com.